And I think at the same time, you know, having another year in college and kind of realizing where I fit in the basketball world and that as much as I love the game, that the NBA uh, maybe wasn't in my future. Uh, it just made a lot of sense to uh, to listen to mom and, and, and put the spikes on. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we are talking to former professional baseball players about their journey through amateur baseball in the minor leagues. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Today I'm talking to Will Venable, current Cubs first base coach and longtime Padres outfielder. Will took some time as the Cubs were in the final postseason stretch to talk about some unique things we haven't yet discussed on this podcast series. Will grew up the son of a big leaguer, but basketball was his first love. So we talked about his experience playing both basketball and baseball in the Ivy League for Princeton, uh, playing in March Madness against two future NBA players, and how he was able to balance and develop as a baseball player while juggling both sports in college. Will also dives into what it's like to have your dad as your coach in the minors and how he learned the art of the stolen base and route to becoming a 2020 guy and just the general importance of being honest with yourself and knowing what kind of player you are when you get in a pro ball. If you hang around for the entire episode, you'll also get to hear which current Cubs player he'd want to take in one-on-one. So uh, great stuff from Will. Very thankful that he took the time. If you enjoy this episode of From Phenom to the Farm, go ahead, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate and leave a five-star review. Let us know what you think about the podcast and go check out past episodes that you might not have caught yet. Also, make sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com for all your prospect and amateur baseball coverage and the Baseball America podcast feed that is churning out daily postseason pods. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. And with that, let's talk to Will Venable. Okay, on today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, I am joined by Padres' seventh-round pick in the 2005 draft out of Princeton, former big leaguer, current coach for the Cubs, Will Venable. Will, thanks so much for taking the time. Of course, of course. Nice to be here. Yeah, man, I'm excited to talk to you about your career, but I, I, I can't not ask. I mean, we're recording this after, I guess, one of the most exciting games that you've seen in a Cubs uniform, especially in... Uh, especially in this kind of different season. Yesterday, uh, Alec Mills threw a no-hitter. How was that? It was a lot of fun. It, it was cool to be a part of, cool to watch in person, uh, especially for Millsy, who's who's a guy that, uh, you know, comes with, um, you know, a, a track record of kind of overachieving and, and a guy that uh, is, does it without uh, the stuff and and uh, the velo and everything that you're used to seeing in today's game. So it, it was just really cool to to see a guy uh, have a great day like that and and understanding everything that goes into it behind the scenes and all the hard work that he and and Victor Caratini and and everybody on the staff puts together to uh, to see it all happen um, in and show up in a in a no hitter was just uh, was was really cool. Yeah, I had had to ask you about it. It'll be a little dated by the time this episode drops, but it was it was awesome to see. But let's go into into your career, how you wound up eventually as a, a coach for the Cubs. Unlike many big leaguers, your high school athletic career, your your youth athletic career didn't involve a ton of a ton of you playing baseball. How'd you spend your time athletically, you know, as you got into high school, started kind of figuring out what sports you were gonna play? It was really just basketball every day, all day. Uh, just really like, oh, that's all I did. That's all I cared about was basketball growing up. I would uh, play all day, every day, and uh, sleep with a basketball, dream about basketball. When I thought about what my 
athletic uh, career was going to be like as an adult. Uh, I couldn't imagine it without basketball. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, my dad played in the big leagues and, and my mom, uh, always kind of just reminded me that there was opportunities, um, to play. Uh, so I kind of just always kept it in the back of my mind. Um, e- even though I was always just kind of everything that I did was, was basketball driven. Did you play any baseball at all as a kid? Like how much baseball did you play before you got to college? Yeah, I, I missed out on a couple years, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't do any of the travel ball stuff. I played little league, um, which was, which was great. Uh, but I didn't play, uh, you know, much in middle school, I think maybe one year, um, maybe in sixth or seventh grade I played. Um, I don't even know what the league was called, but I think I played in seventh grade. And then I did play my freshman through junior year, um, a baseball, but, but again, it was, it was, um, just, just not, not a lot of, not a lot of playing. I didn't get a lot of at bats. I didn't really care too much about it. I was, I was okay at it, um, so I kept with it. But, uh, but it, it really was kind of uh, secondary uh, to, to basketball. But uh, then I, I, I did, I did play a little bit. But I, I missed out on some, some, uh, some good years there. What are the? You mentioned your dad played in the big leagues. Your dad played in the pros. What were the the pros and cons of having a big league dad when it came to sports, like even basketball? How was he as a? I mean, it's every parent's instinct to coach. You can't you can't beat that out of them. So what what were what were the pros and cons of that? You know, really the only, the only cons were were just that he wasn't there all the time. You know that um, you know you'd have to wait till you know most years wait till school is out to go see him during the summer. Um, and to, and to go, you know, have, have the whole family together. But, uh, truthfully, my dad was a special guy, man. And I think a lot of it is just the kind of person he is, but he also understood how hard the game was. Um, and he never, ever, uh, pushed me at all to play baseball or, or, uh, coached me up to do anything that I didn't want to do, to be honest. Uh, he was always there for me and supported me and was always offered his help. But, uh, I never felt any pressure for him from him to uh, to play baseball or to, to do anything really that I didn't want to do. What were your what were your grades like in high school? Because obviously your college decision screams straight A student. What were you like in the classroom as a high schooler? Uh, pretty good. You know, I did my homework. My mom made sure that we all did our homework. Um, but, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, some brainiac that was um, – just flying through high school and getting good grades. Uh, definitely had to work at it, um, but but my grade my grades were always good. Uh, I think uh, like everybody, uh, you get a little bit of senioritis that last year going into college, where where the GPA might have dipped a little bit. But uh, I had a good good uh, good track record of getting good grades in the classroom for sure. So what was your college recruitment like and why did you land on Princeton? Because that I'd imagine that is an intimidating academic choice at the very least, kind of something a little nerve wracking of stepping into class there. Yeah, that was a big hurdle uh, to get there eventually when I made that decision. But, um, you know, really, uh, again, it was all basketball. And, and so there was opportunities that I had. I, I knew I wanted to kind of stay close to home. And so I said no to some schools, um, you know, in the middle of the country and on the East Coast initially uh, when I was trying to make my decision. And I had a really good visit with Santa Clara, which was, uh, you know, probably 45 minutes or an hour from home, which I thought would have been awesome. Loved the coach, loved uh, the area and what they had going on with the the program. 
they were going to let me play baseball there also, which was cool. Um, and then, you know, Princeton just came real late in the game. Uh, and my mom just said, hey, you know, the opportunity to, to get a degree from that school is something that you really should um, at least uh, consider and, and take, a, take a visit out there and check it out. And I did, and I loved it. Um, and, you know, they also were going to give me the opportunity to play baseball, too. Uh, and it was a long way away from home. And like you said, uh, you know, pretty intimidating from an academic standpoint, which which really never I never really got over. I always felt, um, you know, like you're, uh, uh, you know, among this group of, of, of really, really uh, intellectual people. Uh, it was definitely intimidating throughout the whole time there. But uh, it was a great decision. That's just kind of how, how it came came about. It ultimately was uh, that I just couldn't say no to the opportunity to get that degree. So when you get to college, what I, I'll give you a multiple choice question. What was the most difficult thing about about going to an Ivy school and making that transition to Princeton? Was it A, the just the adjustment to Ivy League level of competition, even with basketball? Uh, B, just the classroom stuff? C, the weather, because you're a California guy and heading to that? Or D, the questions about being an Ivy Leaguer for 20 years post-college? <laughs> well, uh D, D, D is not really a problem. You know, I think that most people don't even know that I went to school there and uh, really not a big deal. I, I think there's maybe surprised when I, when I say that I did, but, um, but really the, the, the first three for sure. I mean, uh, being away from home, being in an, an area uh, where there is weather and, and things that just I, I'm not used to and, and the academic uh, challenges and, and just the, the overall, just the, t- the time management um, with all that and, and trying to uh, be the best student I could be uh, in a place where I really felt overwhelmed and at the same time trying to, to keep up and, and, and do all the things uh, from a, a, an athletic standpoint that's, that's uh, required of a, of a student athlete um, in college too. So it, 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 was, it was a lot. Um, but, you know, being able to have been through that and, and struggle a little bit with it, you know, I'm, I'm a better person for it now. What was behind your decision not to play baseball your freshman year? Was it just not something you wanted to do or were you worried about the time management of it? What kind of went into that? Yeah, you know, it was just a really tough freshman year for me um, with basketball. You know, this is the first time that, uh, you know, you're away from home, you're getting crushed in the classroom, coaches yelling at you. Uh, and it was just mentally exhausting. And by the time the baseball season went around, you know, I'd, I'd worked out with Coach Bradley uh, a couple times a week during the basketball season, especially as, as summer approached. But um, but it just really I just needed a break and I just didn't think that I could do it uh, at the level uh, that I needed to to. Um, and I just yeah, I just I just couldn't get there. It just it just was one of those things where I was just mentally fatigued by the time. Uh, baseball season came around what finally got you onto the baseball field actually participating with the team my mom to be honest uh you know I mentioned a little bit about it before but she had always kind of just subtly hinted at you know the opportunities that uh baseball had given my dad and how to keep those doors open and then once I got to college and after that freshman year she said hey you know you really need to you really need to stick with this and, and give this give this a shot and I think at the same time, you know, having another year in college and kind of realizing where I fit in the basketball world and that as much as I love the game, that the NBA 
maybe wasn't in my future. Uh, it just made a lot of sense to uh, to listen to mom and 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 put the spikes on. How did you balance your time once you were playing both? Were you were you trying to get work in at both at the same time, or was it you wait until basketball's over and then you get into baseball? Yeah, during the basketball season, you know, it was cool. Coach Thompson was really uh, understanding, and, and you know, once I decided that I wanted to do both for sure, uh, he was understanding of my desire to do that and really supportive. So there was, you know, a couple times a week where I would uh, go down. Uh, in our sports facility or stadium, I guess, um, we have what we call the pit where it's the, the basement of this building. You can go down and get some good baseball work in. And I'd go down to the pit maybe once or twice a week during the basketball season, try and get some swings in with coach Bradley. Uh, and then of course, uh, trying to maintain all my focus on, uh, on basketball while also balancing, uh, the classroom, uh, there's just some busy days, but, uh, luckily I had, you know, between the teachers and, and my coaches, you know, some, some really good support and understanding that I was, I was taking on a lot. Uh, but, but they really were flexible in, in helping me make it happen. When basketball season would end and you would, you would get out there with the team during your sophomore, junior, senior years of baseball, how long would it take you to feel like you were comfortable in the box? Like you were, you were a baseball player, not a guy transitioning. That's a good question. A, a long time. Um, and I, I'm not sure that I really ever got there. I just, just would kind of, again, with the support of, of, of coach Bradley and just kind of helping and my dad, you know, just helping me frame up like how difficult the challenge is and what I was doing and how difficult the game is regardless. Um, you know, I, I never, I never felt great again because you're just not getting those reps, but um, you know, also it was a couple years removed for playing. So really the biggest challenge was just being fair to myself and, and understanding kind of where I was at and where I was trying to get to. Um, and, and understanding that along the way there was going to be some bumps and, and that it was okay not to feel great, uh, right away, uh, which I think kind of helped me get through it. How did you spend your summers while you're in college? Cause for, for most top level college baseball players that spent in a, a wood bat summer league, did you get any of those ABs? Yeah, I did. I, I, I would, um, you know, we had a very, um, I don't know, very local kind of weird combination of players, uh, you know, some, some junior college players, some ex minor league players, um, might have even had a, a convict or two in there on our team where we just had this 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 summer ball beer league basically uh that I got linked up to and, and it was kind of the only only place that I could go play and, and get at bats uh which was enough for me and it was it was good also kind of at the level that I was at and in, in getting back to to have some people who really just love the game um and also wasn't uh necessarily uh, you know, the Cape Cod League where I was going to get crushed by the best talent in the country. Um, you know, really, really good place for me to kind of just slowly continue to develop. Was that Beer League in California or was that in Jersey? 
It was in California. Yeah, I would oh, go okay, back. Because I, I think Jersey convicts, convicts, I think of the Sopranos. So that, yeah. that was a fun mental image for a second. Yeah, yeah no, it was in California. And, and all good guys. And, and we, had a, we had a great time. It was, it was, it was good, good baseball and good people. Well, we're, we're here to talk mainly about your baseball. But I, I don't think I'll get this opportunity with many guys on this podcast. So you are, you're definitely the first person on this podcast who has played in March Madness. Uh, walk me through getting to March Madness and playing in a March Madness game versus PJ Tucker, who is who's still doing it in the league. TJ Ford, who obviously had some um, some tough injury luck, but what what was that experience like as a 14 seed? It was awesome. That was really the the pinnacle of my basketball career, uh, and one of the reasons that I wanted to go to Princeton beyond the academics uh, was that they had been to the tournament the last few years. And that was something that I always wanted to be a part of. And it really lived up to all my expectations. It was uh, just one of those times where you just realized how big a deal college basketball was with, with the fans and everything that they do leading up to the tournament. Uh, and, that, and then obviously the game and the competition and being on the floor with, with these guys. And as an Ivy League team, you, you, you rarely get to play those types of teams. I mean, we always had a couple on the schedule, uh, but in that, in that venue, um, on that stage, to be able to, to go up against those guys that you're talking about um, was awesome. And, and, uh, and unfortunately, it didn't work out for us, but uh, just, to, just to get out there and compete with those guys was a lot of fun and something that I always remember. Well, after that March Madness, you have a pretty standout junior year on on the diamond. You get taken by the Orioles in the fifteenth round. How much contact did you have with them about your signability, or even that that they were considering taking you? Was that on your radar? No, not at all. Um, and even after, I mean, I didn't really talk to them a lot. It was kind of a weird experience. But uh, yeah, didn't talk to uh, really any teams before. I think there was still a lot of questions about. Um, you know, my desire to play, um, obviously hadn't had a lot of at bats, not, a, not a great track record. Um, but yeah, once they drafted me, um, you know, I, I doubt that, you know, I was in any position or, or, nor they were in any position to make, uh, my signing a reality. Um, and I think it kind of, uh, kind of dissolved pretty quickly. I mean, I, I, I got a call from them on the day of the draft from whoever drafted me and said, Hey, you know, we'll talk next week. Uh, once we get some of these guys signed to see what we can do. And, uh, I honestly just never heard from him again. So, um, you got ghosted. It got ghosted by the Orioles, man. Um, but it was all good. It all worked out. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty kind of a short lived um, interaction with them. So you come back, you play your senior year in basketball after you finish your last game and you've you've already decided you know the NBA is not calling or anything, was it easy to say, okay, well I'm a full time baseball player now, or did you was there any sort of like mourning period for your basketball career? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still I still was was hopeful that uh, you know going overseas was an option, uh, and I did I did have an agent representing me and kind of um, framing up opportunities uh, overseas, and and there were a couple that. Uh, were decent enough that I had leverage in the draft uh, as a senior, but uh, but I think that I, I I knew that once once I once basketball was over um, and that senior season of baseball was happening that uh, you know this was going to be my time to definitely just turn the page um, as tough as it was uh, to turn the page and and, and focus full, fully on baseball. And, and yeah, there was a morning period. I think I'm still in the morning period. I mean, I just love basketball so much. 
Um, I, 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 it was nothing like being on the court playing. And, and so I, I, I'll, I will always miss it. But I think that uh, I was able to get my mind wrapped in, into being a baseball player pretty quick um, and, and knew that if I was going to be serious about it, that I had to, to kind of leave basketball uh, behind. Well, you lead your team in the in the triple crown categories. Uh, your your last year in baseball. What is your second experience with the draft like? What is that draft day? That was uh, interesting. You know, there was uh, still less certainty in where I would end up. Um, you know, hearing from scouts, there was uh, you know talk about like even even you know second or third round possibilities, even all the way to like you might fall to the 10th round. You have, you just have no idea, uh, especially with my track record. And so I just kind of uh, went into the draft, not really knowing what to expect. And at that time, you just watching on the ticker on the computer and, um, and, you know, in the third round, I think I started getting calls directly from, uh, farm directors or scouts. I really don't even know who is, who is calling just saying, Hey, like, would you, would you be interested or like, would you be, uh, you know, interested in signing in this range. Um, and I've said, of course I would, uh, because I really didn't have any other options at th- that point. Um, but so that kind of happened from the fourth round to the, to the fifth round. And, and when I kept getting passed up by these teams after they kept calling, it was a little disheartening. And so then after the, f- the fifth round, I was just like, you know, I need to, to go take my dog on a walk. This is, this is getting, uh, uh, this getting to be too, too much for me as far as the anxiety involved with it. And then my mom called and said, Hey, the Padres just took you in the seventh round. Um, and I was like, cool, that's awesome. Especially considering my dad was with the organization. Um, and so as soon as, as soon as that, that pick came in, like I, I was instantly pumped, ready to go. And, and it was, uh, it was an exciting moment for us. Were you confident when you, they sent you to the AZL and they they sent you to uh, short season Eugene, I believe, which coincidentally Cubs Cubs affiliate now? But were you confident heading out there, or was there a lot of nervous because you were very behind in terms of at bats compared to the guys you were playing with? I don't think I was uh, nervous in that sense. Um, I I've always been confident. The, the weird thing, and I think uh, as much as I love basketball and it was all basketball my whole life like I think just seeing my dad play in the big leagues and that it just being like a normal thing like I just never questioned that I was gonna make it to the big leagues so I I, I didn't go into those uh you know in a pro ball with any kind of reservations about my ability but I did at every level that I went to and and certainly right off the bat in the AZL uh just kind of have to like figure out where I fit you know, and, and say, all right, well, that's what a first rounder is. That's what, a, you know, this guy looks like. This guy's good at this. You know, where do I line up? And and once I figured out, um, you know, kind of where I fit at each level, it definitely gave me more confidence within that year to then, you know, perform at a higher level and move on. So that's something that I experienced right away and um, really never stopped my whole career. From the get-go, what kind of player – did you think you could be like when you figured that out and and when you're in short season, when you're in the Northwest league, like what did you, what did you think a big league will Venable look like? I had no idea, you know, and I don't think the Padres did either. And, um, I don't think a lot of, uh, people know. And, and, and if they do, it's, it's one of the things in player development that are really, um, you know, whether it's player development, whether it's the, the, the kid, you know, it's really important to, to figure out who you are as soon as possible. I mean, I, I can think of having 
talks with the Padres in in my first full season saying, hey, you know, we see you as more of a power threat. Like you got to put on some more weight uh, and doing that and that not really working. And then the next year in double A saying, hey, we need to to pull the ball more in the air and that not really working. And then it probably was was in triple A when I realized like who I was and and regardless of who I was going to be in the big leagues, like I had to be you'd figure out who I was for myself. And, and that was really just being athletic, that my athleticism was something that was going to set me apart from the rest of the group and something that was going to carry me. So, um, yeah, I figured out what that looked like and what that meant for me. And, um, and it just, it happened to, uh, carry me into the big leagues and, and carry me through my career. So your first full year in pro ball in 2006, when did you find out that your dad was going to be your coach? Well, I knew, yeah, I knew, uh, you know, going into that year that, um, that it was a possibility for me to be there and that he'd already been assigned there. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I knew kind of right away that unless they were going to send me back to, uh, to Eugene or, or keep me back in the AZL that we were going to be together that year, uh, which was awesome. It was amazing. So is it pretty easy to separate the the dad coach kind of thing when he, when he's having to be when he's your boss in a sense? Yeah, again, it was my dad is just a special guy in that way. I mean, it was it was so easy. It was uh, you know, to the point where like you really no one would know that that he was my dad if if we didn't have the same name on the back of our jerseys. He just treated me like everybody else. Um the expectations were the same. If, uh, if there was anything different, it was, you know, uh, just time away from the field where we, where we would go out to eat and he would just say, Hey man, you know, here's some things that you, you need to uh, think about or that can help you. Um, but he never my entire life has never wavered from being the kind of person he, he is. And that's just a supportive person. That's going to, uh, help guide me through whatever, whatever it is. Um, and that's what made him such a great dad. And that's what made him such a great coach. So you're the Padres minor league player of the year in your first full season. You tear up low A, you're a little old for the league, but comparative to how many at bats you've gotten, that kind of, it kind of lines up. What's your, what's your game plan from there? You'd already gone in, you, you know, you just said that you, they were kind of changing around what your role might be. But at that point, after you've experienced pro ball, you gotten close to 200 games in, what do you you know what do you think your ETA is how far do you think you're from the big leagues you know at that point it seems like uh ways away uh you know i i never you know i never thought that uh you know thinking about going into that um 2007 my double a year like i never thought that i was you know uh, a year or two away from the big leagues. It seemed like an eternity away. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, that year where you had a couple guys like Chase Headley and, and Sean Kazmar, uh, who were my teammates, get called up uh, from double A. And you're like, whoa, we're not, we're not that far away here. Um, but even for, I, I still think it's, it was more motivation that you're closer, but not, um, not a good kind of benchmark for where I'm at personally. So it just, it, it was always like, got to work, got to work, got to go, got to go, got to, got to, got to keep performing and, and keep pushing. Um, but because it still felt really far away. 
as someone who coming up was not in the the baseball year round thing, like even from high school, kids are you know you you got your spring your spring high school season, you play travel ball in the, in the summer and fall, and then college is kind of that same thing. After you play a full season in low A and you go play winter ball, was there any part of you that was just kind of gassed by the time you got to spring training? Uh, not, not, not so much. I mean, I think I was, um, you know, because, because maybe I wasn't, like you said, uh, a year round baseball player my whole life. Uh, I never, I never felt like I got to that burnt out stage where I know a lot of guys do. Um, I was still always just in, in kind of like learning mode. Like I want to, I want to get as many at bats under my belt. Um, and, and just kind of stay hungry in, in, in kind of um, growth mode and, and, and developing as much as I can. So, uh, yeah, I never, I never, you know, in the minor leagues especially, like never got tired of, of the winter ball stuff or, or, or the longer seasons. Like it was just always um, – I was just always hungry for, for at-bats. You, you make it through your, your first year, your only year in double A, your year in San Antonio, which we've, we've documented on this podcast before, is my hometown and not a great place to hit it all. Uh, but you make it through, you go to Portland, you're back with your dad as their hitting coach. The, the 2008 year, you're 25, so it's not as though you're, you're super young. Are you, as far as that year, are you thinking that every day when you come to the ballpark might be the day you get the call? No, but... But at the end of the year, I kind of knew when you see some guys go up and down and and understand you know what September call ups are and and your year being on the forty man roster coming up uh, or your protection year or whatever. Um, I knew that I knew that that was the year that if I perform well, um, that I would have an opportunity. But it wasn't like I was waiting every day thinking that it, it was going to be my day. I knew that I still had to focus on on what was going on right in front of me. Um, but I was confident that, that my time was going to come. Well, then walk me through the, the first time you get the call. It was cool. Yeah, I, uh, I, I knew that there was an injury that had happened. Uh, Scott Harrison had broke his wrist, and I was initially in the lineup, and then I wasn't in the lineup. So I was like, okay, this is, this is a good start. And then after the game, uh, I got a tap on the shoulder uh, from my dad, which was awesome. And he walked me into the manager's office and uh, they said, hey, you're going to the big leagues, kid. And um, and it was awesome. It was a cool moment. Really special to have my dad there. I obviously didn't need to call him and tell him because he was with me. Um, but, yeah, something I'll never forget. And, you know, just 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 a cool moment uh, for my dad and I, considering all the all the things, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, that you go through with your dad, uh, and, and to have him there was just, it, it was, it was like the coolest thing ever made, made it that much more special. And, and obviously something I'll never forget. Did your mom get to hit you with an, I told you so <laughs> she still is. She, she, she won't, you know, she won't say it directly, but she, she, she knows that she's uh, a big reason, uh, for, for me having, uh, gone through with a baseball career and um you know mama's no best do you remember your first at bat in detail absolutely yeah uh especially because um you know scouting reports at that time was you know there was video and stuff but it was really just a piece of paper with with uh percentages was the best the best that we did like uh last 10 at bats in each count like what percentages 
this guy throws to lefties or righties or whatever. And uh, we had say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Aaron Cook with the, the Rockies, and at that point, uh, he's obviously a heavy sinker guy. It was like, even throughout any count, it was like, something ridiculous like 98 percent sinkers uh to lefties and um and so i go up there like and i'm i don't mind i don't mind sinkers so i'm like cool i'm gonna get something out over the plate and, and shoot him the other way and, and he goes first pitch slider um which i was like whoa all right um we'll have to re- reset here for a second but 98 percent or whatever uh slider so we'll stick with the slider or, or sinkers excuse me um so we'll stick with the sinker approach, and he threw me another slider, which I ended up uh, uh, hitting. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a uh, interesting introduction to kind of scouting reports and 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 just kind of what to expect in the league. And uh, but at the same time, I was I was happy to be able to get a knock and uh, and just a, just a good a good first at bat, first trip around the bases, and and I think I scored that inning too. Uh, so it was it was a good first at bat for sure. You get 28 games in that first stint. What's the toughest thing about adapting to the big leagues besides just guys are better? Like if you have a guy come up right now for the Cubs, you know he's going to be around for a couple weeks and kind of need to get his feet wet. What are you what are you relaying to that guy is is the the big adjustment they need to make? Well, first of all, it's, it's much different now than than it is then. Like the advanced scouting and things that that teams do um, now like the book on you is, is, is out like really quick. And when I came up, you had a good month or two months where you could get away with some stuff, um, and without them knowing your weaknesses and your strengths. Uh, so, so it's very different in that sense. So I think you're, you're really, really don't have a lot of time to feel your way through, uh, your first couple weeks in the big leagues. Like you gotta, you gotta, figure it out and, uh, and understand who you are and how they're going to attack you right away. Um, but I think in general, it's, it's just about, uh, confidence, you know, it's about just, uh, understanding that you're there for a reason that, uh, you know, you wouldn't be called up and put in this situation if you didn't belong there. And, and nowadays I think a lot of the guys that come up, like they, they know that they should be there and they're, they are really confident and, and whether it's because of the scouting reports or whatever, they, they, they're not taking their time to feel their way through the league, which, which is cool. So, um, yeah, it's as much as, uh, I'd like to, to help these guys through it. Uh, it's a lot tougher for them than it was for me. So when you, when you're up, and you, you're up for that 28 games, and then 2009, you kind of split time between uh, the PCL and the big leagues. Do do they? Are you given directive about what the key is for you to stick in the big leagues? Like, do they tell you we need you to do this, this, and this, and you'll be a big leaguer, or is it just kind of like, hey, play well, man, and and hopefully you're, you'll hang around? Yeah, I think I, I don't know. They don't they didn't give you specifics, or they didn't they didn't with me or what at, at all. Um, I think I, I knew that I needed to. Uh, cut cut down on the strikeouts and uh, my defense was continuing to improve 
but I think it was just, you know, just managing the game, managing uh, your emotions, managing the workload and being a professional, managing a routine and just taking steps in, in, in all those areas. Um, and, and it wasn't ever, uh, hey, go do these things and you'll be back up. It was just, hey, uh, now's not your time, uh, and we'll let you know when it is. And until then, keep going and doing your thing. You mentioned in your defense, as a guy who who had gotten thrown into all three outfield spots, how do you how do you manage your work there? Is there a spot you preferred? Are you having to work at each individual spot? What what goes into being a guy who's playing all three spots? I think definitely the work. Um, I think, you know, also just communication with your team and, and saying, hey, look, where might you use me? Because I want to work uh, and make sure that I'm prepared in each area. And, um, you know, some years uh, for me, it was, hey, you're going to be in, in left and right. Uh, some years it was going to be you're in center and right. And, and so I think just getting on the same page and understanding where I was going to be used and then, and then just going out and doing the work. And really it's, it's, uh, it was as simple as, uh, getting ground balls and, and then getting balls, uh, live balls off the bat and BP at each spot and just making sure that you're comfortable. Um, and just paying attention to where you're being used. And, and once I was able to do that, uh, it, it really kind of just worked itself out where I was, I was making sure that I, uh, was, just prepared for whatever might be thrown at me. Is there a a spot at the big leagues that you can definitively say, like, this is the toughest place to play, like left field at a certain park, like Fenway jumps out, you spent most of your career in the uh in the NL. Is there is there a spot at a ballpark where you're like, that's a that's a tough spot to play? Yeah. Um gosh, I'm trying to think. All, all left fields were tough for me. I, I never felt comfortable in left field for whatever reason. I think that's the toughest of the outfield spots. Um, but, you know, San Diego, like running down balls in right field uh, before they moved the fence in was tough. But at the same time, you didn't have fences to worry about. So there was that. I mean, every park has its um, has its quirks and its nuances that, that make it more challenging. But... Um, but yeah, I, I don't nothing nothing no particular park jumps off uh, the page in my mind. Uh, other than just just left field in general was always just uh, you know I think just underrated how difficult a position it is. Something else you did consistently besides play all three outfield spots was be a stolen base guy. You cleared twenty stolen bases four times in the big leagues. How did you learn the art of stole, the stolen base? Because it's it's more than just being fast. Was there anyone you leaned on who taught you? Veterans, coaches. How did you go about? uh, excelling as a base runner. Yeah. Well, once I got to the big leagues, um, Rick Renry and Dave Roberts were, I, I mean, Dave Roberts, pretty good guy to learn from. He's a good guy to learn from. And, and, uh, you know, he, he really was, uh, great with kind of, uh, mindset and, and physical positions to put yourself in. Uh, but Rick Renneria was really kind of the catalyst of of really breaking down pitchers and their tendencies and things that they would do um, and, and how to expose uh, their tendencies before they pick uh, versus going to the plate. Uh, I know he taught a lot of that to, to, to Dave, too, um, and passed on to me. And, and so, it, yeah, it got to a point where we were stealing bases, um, like, I, I mean, so easily – uh, because we knew where you know the guy was going to the plate versus coming over that when we didn't um you know kind of 
took a little bit out of the natural the natural um, base stealing ability out of you because you were so dependent um, on the information that Ricky had because it was just so good. Um, but those two guys like just made all the difference once I got to the big league level and, and, and really just being an efficient base stealer. Once you cement yourself in the big leagues for your first couple of years, you're a platoon guy. Is there frustration that goes into that, or is it just nice to know your role when you go to the ballpark? Oh, I always like uh, to know my role. I, I mean, I always, I think I was always a fair judge of myself, and I knew that you know when I'm a platoon partner with Chris Denorfia and I'm watching him, you know, click. Clayton Kershaw fastballs left and right and 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 hailing all these lefties that you know if he wasn't in the game I'd be in the game like it's pretty um a pretty easy pill to swallow um so I I was never frustrated uh about it uh because I, I genuinely just wanted to win um but at the same time like personally um I knew that you know, I was being in the, put in the best position to succeed, and and we we also had some really good guys on the right handed side to uh, to take care of business against the lefties. So after you get a few years in the big leagues, in in 2013, you're a 2020 guy. Is that something that matters in season? Are you are you ever peeking at the stats like, hey, I'm three home runs away from 20, or a couple stolen bases away from 20? Is that is that anything that matters, or is that like an off season thing? Well, I was just kind of when I thought about what I could be once I got to the big leagues, I would just kind of had the 2020 benchmark in, in my mind. And then, uh, that year, once I started, uh, hitting for some more power and, and, uh, and then got to, got to 20 homers, I was like, all right, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely trying to get my 20 bags and get this 2020 wrapped up. And, and, and so, uh, the, the stolen base part of it, uh, to get to 20 stolen bases, like I, I definitely uh, had that in in my mind, and um, although it didn't really change anything, I uh, would have got there naturally anyway um, that year once the homers were were out of the way. But but yeah, once once I got the 20 homers, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get my 20 bags to get my 2020 for sure. What change did you make to tap into some more power? Was it a mechanical adjustment? Was it just a couple doubles that went out? What what kind of went into that? You know, looking back at it. Uh, it really was just me being the most athletic version of myself at the plate. And I think that I had, uh, you know, the problem with uh, the big leagues sometimes is that there's just too much information and too much opportunity to change things. And when I was in the minor leagues, it was just much more, uh, just more, more freedom to not, not more freedom, but, there's just less information that you could attach yourself to, to, to want to make change. And so you just go on being yourself and being athletic and, and, and feeling good at the plate and getting, getting on time. And instead of, uh, you know, picking apart video and data and all this stuff that you have access to in the big leagues. Um, so I think I ended up early in my career, kind of taking myself away from who I was at the plate. And then, um, you know, that year with Phil Plantier, uh, as my hitting coach, it was really just about, about rhythm and, and, uh, timing. And, and I ended up just, just kind of, uh, naturally with my athleticism, learning how to, uh, pull the, pull the ball in the air a little more. And, um, and it turned into some, to some more homers. Um, and unfortunately, like it, it, it looking back, like 
uh, even the next year, like I didn't really understand what I was doing. You know, um, I thought I did, but I, I didn't understand how I had gotten there. Um, and unfortunately wasn't able to repeat it, but that definitely is what it was. Just me being athletic, being on time and, uh, it just turned into to more pole side damage. So you kind of mentioned 24, the next year didn't go as well. You had career lows. What, what do you think led into that? Did you change more things? You know, when guys get on that side of 30, people start asking questions about age, bat speed, you know, you suddenly had high expectations on you after being a 2020 guy. What kind of made 2014 the year it was? Yeah, just just a misunderstanding of of who I was in 13, you know, and and again, like trying to replicate it by virtue of looking at videos and 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 all these things um, that I thought I was doing. But it 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 really was um, it was just being athletic and, you know, being loosey goosey up there, you know, it it. it yeah, it really disappo- really disappointing like looking back that I was so far off and trying to replicate things but but I was always just a tinkerer and and uh chasing feelings and stuff and um and unfortunately I chose to do it by looking at videos um which is just a tough way to to capture those things and and it just never it never was the same never could figure it out. How long in retrospect did it take you to figure out that like that's how you got things done in, in that 2013 season? Like when did you have that clarity of I needed to stop tinkering? No, pro- like never. <laughs> I mean as a player, <laughs> like I just I just always did it. Um, you know, which w- it turned out to be my demise, you know. Uh but but really really now coaching um, you know, you, you look at what players go through and the things that they're trying to work on and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I'm not a hitting guy, so, you know, try not to, to cross, to cross over into other people's lanes, but it's, but, but it, it really is like, um, you know, obvious that the things that, that players do to take them away from, uh, the good, the good version of themselves, uh, just because we're just always trying to find, uh, a way to to feel a certain way and looking at video or, or, or whatever um, to do it. Um, yeah, it just, it's just, uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it was disappointing that it, it took me till I was done playing to realize it. Um, but it is good now, again, as a coach to, 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 to be able to say like, hey, like, how about like approach and, and, and timing as opposed to uh, mechanics and, you know, results. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, unfortunately just took me, uh, took me to be out of the game to realize how I was messing up. I think any former baseball player at some point in another will find themselves awake at the middle of the night, staring at the ceiling, being like, Oh, I could have done this thing differently seven years ago. And, uh, no doubt this might've turned out better, but you have that tough, that tough 2014, and then in the 2014-2015 the offseason, the Padres bring in uh, Matt Kemp, Justin Upton, and Will Myers in the offseason. What is, as, as a veteran, as a guy who had, had signed a little short-term deal to stay there, what's your reaction when you see those moves? I loved it. I was excited because uh, there was one thing with the Padres, you always kind of felt like, man, if we just had a, a couple more guys on offense – um, we would have had a chance, you know, we always had great pitching, great defense. Uh, we always, uh, kind of were in the games, but didn't have the, the, the big boppers to, 
to to kind of score that extra run, hit that two run homer late in the game uh, to push us over the edge. So I was stoked, and I knew what it meant for me that I was going to be getting a ton of opportunity out there. But uh, at that point in my career, like I didn't really care. I, I legitimately just wanted to win, and uh, really was just hopeful that they were going to keep me around to uh, to be a part of it. What is of someone in your position that year? You're 32 years old. You've been around there for a while. They bring in three right-handed boppers. What is the duty of a, a reserve player on the field in the clubhouse? How do you adapt to that role after mentally after being a, a mainstay, a guy who goes out there almost every day? Yeah, I'm not sure for me that there was much of an adjustment. You know, I always uh, took pride in being a good teammate and, and being supportive of the guys and 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 whatever our our objectives were on the field, even if that didn't didn't mean that I was on the field doing it. Um, you know, and so those things didn't change, you know, to be a, be a, uh, a leader in the clubhouse, a, a leader in the dugout on the field, whatever it meant, um, really just meant, uh, you know, making sure that we were all doing things the right way. And, and the best way to do that for me was, uh, to hold myself accountable first and, and to make sure that I didn't ever, uh, uh, deviate from my, uh, work ethic or my, my routine, um, you know, kind of my intentions out there and, and just, just to make sure that like everything that I did stayed consistent, um, to make sure that, you know, I could also hold other people accountable so we could, you know, do what we need to do to get wins, you know? And I, I so I, that idea never, never changed for me, even though, um, you know, maybe my playing time did. Was a trade something that you welcomed a trade to the Rangers or was it, was it a bummer? Yeah, it it was welcomed. I think that all of us, you know, really once things went south that year for the Padres, like everyone thought they were going to get traded. Um, and then, you know, when, when you didn't initially, um, it was like, all right, we might be here. Like, like let's finish this season strong. Um, so at that point, I'd kind of put it out of my mind. Uh, but then when I did get traded, it was a lot of mixed emotions. I mean, it was... Uh, Really exciting because the the, the Rangers were uh, surging at that point and, and making their push and and uh, Adrian Beltre was like someone from afar that I'd always looked up to. Uh, same thing with Prince Fielder. I mean, just just guys that I was just excited to be around. Um, but you know, walking out of the building uh, for the last time, walking out of that clubhouse in San Diego for the last time was 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 tough and and very very emotional, really sad. Um, you know, just it's an unbelievable place that treated me well. Uh, loved the fans, loved Buddy Black and the staff and everybody. Um, and so it was super sad leaving. But you know, once once uh, once we shut the door on that, you know, it was it was all about the Rangers, and was really excited to have an opportunity to to play some meaningful baseball, and then an opportunity to play in the playoffs, which was awesome. Yeah, you you were also leaving a very agreeable climate for an absolute furnace. Yeah, the the, uh, the formerly Globe Life Field or ballpark in Arlington, whatever you want to call it, is is probably one of the hottest places on earth to watch a baseball game. It really is. It's tough. You finish up that stint with Texas. You head into you know you get a first go at free agency. Uh, you don't sign until late February. What did, what was that experience like? Was there any was there any word to you that there wasn't going to be a 2016 season for you? I'm not worried that there wasn't going to be a season, but, but it, uh, it, it was tough because, uh, you know, even though I hadn't played very well the last couple of years, um, kind of during my time as a, as a young player, they were still giving out, uh, guaranteed contracts to, to guys that fit my profile. 
that could come in and be a, a clubhouse guy, play a little bit, help the young guys along. Um, there, we still we had those guys come through San Diego all the time, um, and so I thought that there still might be an opportunity for me to get a um, a, a really small but guaranteed deal, and um, that unfortunately was kind of the time where uh, you know they were figuring out that that maybe that wasn't such a good idea to give guys like me those kind of deals, which 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 is for for good reason. Um, but so it, it was a stressful off season. Uh, that was the year Dexter Fowler. Uh, had wait, waited really long time to sign. He didn't get the deal he wanted. And so kind of the culmination of kind of hanging on, waiting every day, talking to clubs who, you know, acknowledge that you might help them, but they're not in a position to sign you. Um, it, it was it was frustrating. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I had an opportunity um, in a great spot. Um, loved my time uh, in spring training with the Indians and was, ha- you know, really, really excited about the opportunity. Um, and they gave me every opportunity to succeed and, and do my thing. And it just uh, I, it just wasn't there for me and uh, obviously didn't work out. Um, but, yeah, the, the offseason going, it was, it, was a, it was a tough, tough uh, offseason. You spent a majority of that 2016 season. The Indians let you go at the end of spring training, get signed by the Phillies. You you head back to AAA. You spend you spend most of that year in AAA between the Phillies and the Dodgers. What's the toughest adjustment being back in AAA after spending as much time you did in the show? Is there any is there any thought in your mind like I don't need this? Like I don't I don't want to go back? Or did you enjoy your time? Uh, I did not enjoy any of my time with the Phillies and that has nothing to do with the Phillies organization at all. Um, I just wasn't feeling good about myself as a player. Uh, it was cold. It was miserable, like, uh, long bus rides. I was playing terrible. My body didn't feel great. Um, and I really, uh, got to the point. I don't want to say where I, I, I didn't check out because I always, if I was going to be in uniform, I was going to work hard and, uh, and, 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 and grind. Uh, but I, I, my mind wasn't always there. You know, w- when I got to the field, I would think more about, um, helping the young guys and, and how, you know, can I grab some guys to go do some early work and see if we could, uh, you know, uh, learn from each other and, and, and help these guys maybe get that next step to, to where they can have an opportunity in the big leagues. Uh, but I really just kind of, uh, yeah, didn't enjoy my time personally uh, for for my career. Um, but then when I got over to the Dodgers, a couple couple weeks with the Dodgers in the big leagues, and then in uh, in Oklahoma City for the rest of the year, I actually really did enjoy myself and and, and found a little bit of a spark again and had a good time uh, playing baseball to end that year. You mentioned though, with when you were with the Phillies, like helping the young guys, was that the first time coaching had? had crossed your mind or was had that been something that you had thought about? Had you thought about basically what a post career life for you looks like? Yeah, I, it, it wasn't necessarily the first time coaching had crossed my mind because I, I, at that point, I mean, and even when I was, uh, done playing, I, I really didn't think about coaching, but it, it was the first time where I thought that I was done playing. Um, and, and, um, uh, because I just wasn't thinking about what I needed to do anymore to get back. Um, and I was thinking just about the other guys. I was like, all right, I, you know, maybe this is, this is going to be my last year. Um, so I did, I did start, uh, thinking ahead and, you know, uh, business school was something that I always wanted to get into. Um, and so, yeah, my time was basically spent away from the field, like studying for the GMAT and, um, just thinking about, 
you know, schools that I can enroll in and just kind of what that might look like um, uh, away from the field. So what made going into going into baseball, going into coaching the right retirement decision for you? Since you had decided that you were basically done playing, what made getting into coaching the right move for you? Really, the, just the opportunity. You know, w- once I was done playing, I uh, reached out to really – just reached out to the people who had impacted my career and said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm done playing and just wanted to thank you for everything you've done for me. And, and just that I just appreciate you and couldn't have done it without you. And, um, and that just kind of turned into conversations about, Hey, well, what are you going to do next? Like, let me get you on the phone with so-and-so. And the next thing you know, I had, you know, like five calls set up with, with different teams, um, and GMs and, um, and then it just kind of boiled down to an opportunity with the Cubs to be a special assistant uh, and did that for a year. And then that after, well, that was 17. And so then going into uh, the eight, that offseason into 18, uh, they called with an opportunity to, to interview for the first base coaching job. And that's really the first time that I uh, considered coaching and uh, said, man, you know, I, I watched my, my dad grind away and, um, and work his butt off. Uh, for 20 years, 20 plus years in the minor leagues to be a coach, um, you know, I can't uh, refuse an opportunity to to be a coach with the Chicago Cubs. So, um, yeah, I went for it. So when it comes to coaching, what are you best at? That sounds like a job interview question, but like what about your experiences do you feel like you're best at relaying to your players with the Cubs? Well, I think that, you know, when you think about what you're doing as a coach, Um, you know, you're really just guiding these guys along through the grind. And I think uh, a huge part of that is just understanding how difficult it was and some of the challenges um, that players have uh, in in just kind of everyday life. Um, As of course, we have our our things that we know we go through at home, but you know, it's it's hard to separate, really impossible to separate those things at home uh, you know, at home life from baseball life. And so you, you end up having distractions and having things, uh, that really make life difficult on a baseball field for you. And, uh, I think just if there's anything that I'm, I'm good at, I think it's, um, you know, building relationships with guys, uh, and, and then helping them understand, you know, that this is, this is a really hard thing to do. And I understand that. And here's some resources that I think might help you, um, be better at what you do. When you go into now spring training every year, a lot of times I end a pod with a with you know a hypothetical question. What would you tell yourself at 18, 20 years old coming out of high school, college? When you go into spring training every year, you're in close proximity to the minor league camp. You probably find yourself in contact with a lot of guys in the Cubs organization who are in a position you're, you were in you know, 10, 15 years ago, coming out of college, starting pro ball. What if you had to give kind of your 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 thesis or what you know what kind of advice would you give to someone who is 22 years old coming out of college about to head through the minor league grind what's the best sort of advice you could grant to someone like that yeah i think uh, a, a couple things i think the the first thing is is um you know we talked a little bit about it before but just know who you are and and understand how your skill set um can help you at, at each level. Um, you know, if you, if you're, if you're somebody that's not, um, hitting the ball, the bar ballpark, like you need to have an understanding of like bunting and, you know, the value of, of situational hitting and, and, and doing the things really 
the survival tools, you know, like understanding what the survival tools are with, with uh, base running defense and, and the little things that you can do at the plate. Um, really the things that, that uh, again, if you're not, um, you know, Mike Trout and, and someone who's going to hit 40 homers a year that, that you need to do to survive in the league um, because the, the offense is always going to be, uh, you know, up and down and you're going to have good days and bad days, but, uh, you know, defense and, and base running, um, you know, from a position player standpoint are just things that you can do every day that you have to do to survive in the league. Um, and the other thing is, and this is really something that, you know, I've discovered more recently as a coach and I wish that I had, uh, as a player, you know, we talk about how difficult the game is and, and, all the things that are set up in support for players um, physically, you know, between training staff, uh, strength and conditioning, um, the stuff you do on the field, hitting mechanics, whatever it might be. Uh, But when you talk to guys and you go through baseball, um, most of the issues that guys have are, are, are are things that pop up from, from our minds, you know, um, mental stuff. And uh, so finding ways to support yourself mentally, um, mental skills, mental health, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, you hear all these things about staying positive and all these things, but, but, uh, it, it really is a skill and, uh, and, and not a skill that a lot of, uh, guys use or develop. Um, and, and for me, like in, 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 in my experience as a coach, like it's, it's mindfulness practice, you know, meditation, mindfulness practice, whatever you want to call it, just the idea of, uh, learning how to be present and not, not letting, uh, things in the past or uh, things in the future affect um, what's happening in, in our moments where we need to perform at our best. Um, so that's that's the big one for me is just uh, learning how to uh, dis you know disassociate with with negative thought patterns that that are, are inevitable uh, when you're grinding and especially you know grinding as a minor leaguer figuring it out um, you know is is a really good place to start. Uh, learning how to be mindful and and just learning how to be present and being the best version of yourself. Well, last question, I'll get you out of here. Someone hands you a basketball and you got to pick one member of the current Cubs team to play in one-on-one. Who do you want? Uh, on my team? No, you got to play him in one-on-one. Who do you want to take? Oh, well, I mean, Javi's, Javi's the best athlete. So, I mean, I could, I would, that would be the meaningful, uh, the only meaningful challenge. Uh, and nobody else, like, I mean, J- uh, Jason Hayward's a pretty good athlete, uh, is probably a good hooper. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I want to take down the best. And, and Javi's, Javi's the best athlete on our team in my mind. So, um, yeah, I would, I would challenge Javi for sure. Well, for the, the sake of health reasons, I don't, I don't think the Cubs would allow that, but I would love <laughs> to see it. Uh, Will Venable, thanks so much for giving me some time on your off day. Really appreciate you joining from Phenom to the Farm. You got it, Kyle. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And that's it for our episode with Will Venable. Again, thanks a ton to Will for taking the time. Uh, Really enjoyed having him on, talking about his career. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the From Phenom to the Farm podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and a review. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Baseball America podcast feed where they are churning out daily playoff podcasts. Uh, definitely tune in for those. And from Phenom to the Farm, you can catch every other Tuesday. So we will see you back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>